millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello one and all, and welcome to Behind the Glass, your weekly automotive podcast hosted by two rather uninformed enthusiasts. No, 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 no. I'm Sam from the YouTube channel Scene Through Glass. I'm Tony from Gravelwood Car Sales. And you can watch us each week on YouTube. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most podcast players. We hope you enjoy the episode. Quick recap, if you missed last week's episode... These episodes have been pre-recorded, <laughs> which if you're watching us on YouTube, you'll know because we're wearing the same clothes as yeah. we were last week. We've gone straight into recording this after last week's episode, and that's because, well, we're away. Yeah. We're international men of mystery right now. Basically, it's January 2021 now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've actually recorded all these episodes four years ago, yeah. and we're now living in the Bahamas. <laughs> but no, we're off uh, living our best life, but working hard. Tony, by this point, will have been back from his trip, and he'll be slaving away at the dealership. So if you want to go and annoy him, feel free to go down there and kick some tyres. Please don't. Um, no, 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 don't say that. Don't kick tyres. Come and spend some money. Come yeah. on. Let me, let me relieve you of some of your hard work pounds. And reward you with a fantastic 0-3-year-old vehicle. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> what a job, boy. <laughs> yeah, are you still looking for someone to come and help you out? Well, yes. Ish. Ish. I will... I will. I mean, this is going to go out in a couple of weeks, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I'll be Maybe back for Maybe we'll find someone by then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will... I am tentatively looking for a lad. Bit, bit of admin. Must have a driving licence. Someone fairly switched on to work alongside me and help me. Basically, I don't. I don't want someone too young. I want someone responsible with some experience. With some experience, yeah. yeah. Well, what I, what I would say is because I think if you say it seems a bit too general for now, I feel like you're going to get inundated. Yeah, hold off everybody. But if you are someone within the automotive industry, or I guess an administrative role, or something like that. Um, Tony will be doing a post. I guess I, w- I will do a post. Yeah, yeah. I, I need like a. A, a, a bit of an all all job man you know yeah, just to get yeah. involved and help and do all different aspects of the business basically based at gravelwood yeah so someone local in kent so yeah do not apply if you're in south africa because or birmingham or anywhere like i could commute down every day yeah. and I'll come down the m40 <laughs> <laughs> i've had that before by yeah, the way. well for the producer role the re- oh there goes my whatsapp let's turn that off the producer researcher role that obviously we uh we were sorting out for this show. I got quite a few applications from, I mean, all over the world. And I was like... All over the world? Literally all over the world. Um, anyway, so yeah, keep your eyes on, on Tony's on social my media, social media yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I, at this point, 
where am I in the world at this point? I I think I would have just. I think I'm in Morocco. Have you had your baby yet? Oh yeah. <laughs> at this point, don't do that because that really makes it seem like we were recording. <laughs> well played. That was good. That was, quick. That was so quick. Um, I'm I'm in Morocco. I would have just left Morocco with the 360. So I teased it last week. Um, but yeah, this insane adventure that I'm taking taking the 360 to the Sahara Desert, uh, which which. As of the time of recording, I'm going to be doing it in a few weeks' time, but by the time this episode goes out, I would have done. So, fingers crossed, I'm not still in the Sahara Desert with a 360 <laughs> stuck. stuck in the sand. Um, but anyway, we've got a fun episode for you. We've lined up some cool stuff to talk about, um, got some big topics, and I actually wanted to kick things off, dive straight into the fact that we missed last week discussing the sort of Jaguar Land Rover news that came out before we went on our big adventure. Yeah. Because JLR going through this kind of big rebrand, which they are, yeah. I knew about, I'd kind of, you know, been semi-briefed on, um, given my close relationship with Dragua. Uh, but then really kind of made a big, big noise when, when it was officially announced that, mm. well, Jaguar Land Rover are firstly becoming JLR. And in all kind of external comms and at dealership level, I think, branding-wise, they're pretty much dropping the Land Rover element of Land Rover Discovery, Land Rover Defender, Land Rover Range Rover, because officially a Range Rover is a Land Rover Range Rover. Yeah. But what JLR realized was that no one really says that. Like everyone just says, I've got a Defender. I've got a Range Rover. I've got a Sport even. A lot of people say, I've got a Sport. So they're getting rid of the Land Rover element. The badges will still appear. The logo it's just not going to be called Land Rover. Yeah. yeah. Or Land Rover Defender. It's just going to be <clears throat> Defender. Defender, yeah. The branding is Defender. Do you think that's the same? Because automotive Twitter kind of went insane at this news. It was like, how can you kill such an iconic brand? But they're not really killing it. Does, does it make sense to you? Partly. It does make sense, partly, because they are right, as in people refer to all these models as the model now. They don't say the Land Rover at the start. However... It's iconic. An actual Land Rover is iconic. It's gone back 60, 70 years, however long it's gone back. And all the dealerships are branded in that way. It's so recognisable. It's unbelievable. They've had different facelifts and colours throughout the years. But you spot the sign a mile off. And it's not going to be there anymore, is it? Theoretically. I mean, it's a bit unclear that because of the craziness because of the fur- furor it's gonna have jlr just have jlr up jlr and then sub that you'll have the range rover brand because i think range rover are gonna have their own dealerships aren't they oh they're really really having Boutiques. a swap round. yeah and i think within the dealerships if i'm not wrong they're gonna have different almost a bit like a department store yes where they're gonna have like different sections of the showroom like you're going to have a defender section. You'll exactly. Have, you'll have salesmen that deal with defenders only, I guess. You'll have Discovery. Then you'll have Range Rover, as in Range Rover, Range Rover Sport. Evoke and Discovery Sport, I guess they'll probably be together. I mean, it's a completely... Like, it's almost like, you know, when you go to a car show, they've all got different stands. I'm visualising it'll be something like that. I, I think so. Yeah. I, I, I think so. I mean, it... Hey, look, I think it's an exciting move because I'm a fan of all of these brands. And the fact that we don't have to call it a Land Rover Defender, I don't think really bothers me because it, it, 
it's called a defender anyway. If I say a defender, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, that, I mean, that's the bit they're right against because that's how everyone refers yeah. to them. I've got a defender. And they're I've trying got... to do it for sort of, their claim is it's, you know, these are luxury products and simplicity is best when it comes to luxury. And you don't want to overcomplicate things. You don't want elongated names. And the Land Rover badge is still going to be there as a, as a sort of, almost like a rubber stamp, as in like a seal of approval or like a... I'll tell you why I think they're really doing it. It's because the the online presence now and they're just trying to make trying to you know blank canvas make things really simple it's like when you know when you go on these all these online apple were really good example because that's our, what most of these businesses are trying to copy they're all trying to copy apple because mm. obviously one of the most successful companies in the world and all these brands they're all trying to copy apple and they make it really simple so this is probably one way for Land Rover to clean their product up. And improve their SEO, I suppose. So it's yeah. just easier for search terms. If you're just going into Google and just typing Defender and yep. not Land Rover Defender, that's going to help as well, right? Yeah. Um, well, look, alongside that news, we did get the sort of, I think, semi-exciting news about new era Jaguar and what their first EV it's potentially going to look like, and I'm just going to bring it up here because I don't want to get the stats wrong, but it's essentially, uh, it was a Super GT, a circa 100 grand Super GT, which I think they're claiming is going to be good for around 430 miles of range. That's that, what they're aiming for. That's a Taycan rival, is it? That sort of thing? I, I guess so, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's see. Here we go. Official. First all-new Jaguar is a 100K four-door GT. Now, styling-wise, it's supposedly going to look completely different to the Jags that we've known. This is a, a whole new identity for Jaguar. This yeah, is not yeah. just we're going EV. This has completely changed the matter, which, let's face it, they needed to do. I mean, I'm one of the biggest Jag fans in the world, but that brand was slowly dying, maybe? Like, how many people were actually buying I mean, F-Type surely got to be their bestseller. Were people still buying XCs, XFs and things like that? XFs? I, I, I would probably say the um, the SUV versions, the E-Pace and the F-Pace were probably the bestsellers. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But even then, compared to their rivals, I think it would still be in small numbers, right? I mean, I think... Uh, yeah, of course. Because when you want to buy an SUV, we're going to talk about this a bit later on in the episode, actually. Mm. Um, when you buy an SUV... How far down the list the Jaguar? When you've got all, I mean, we've just spoke briefly high about for me. Land Rover. Uh, high up for me. Yeah. But low down for a lot of other people. But yeah, yeah. Well, well, everyone knows your car choices. Yeah. And how you behave. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm so like hopeful. I'm, I don't necessarily think new Jag is going to be... All me, like I don't know who who knows. I want them to. I just want Jag to succeed. It's like the underdog team that you support in football or Formula One. You just, you just want them to do well. So I just want Jag to do well. And I did a post not that long ago talking about the fact that even though I still have major red flags when it comes to the idea of living with an EV, so many EVs are starting to really attract me. Like you know, I keep seeing BMW iXs everywhere. I think they're brilliant. Mm. Uh, I love that Hyundai Ionic 6 thing. Mm. I'm kind of excited by the Lotus Electra. We got we spoke about it not that long ago. McCann Electric, Cayman Electric, and then some electric Superb GT Ford. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of into it. I don't think it's all that bad. If they get it right, I think it, it could be exciting and it could breathe some life into Jag because the badge is what I think a lot of the time you 
buy with a luxury item, which brings us to big question mark over the Land Rover thing again. But, you know, you're buying an identity as much as you are buying the product. Well, and, you are, but, I mean, look at the price of it now. I mean, it's not going to be cheap anymore. No, but Jags haven't been. I mean, my F-Type, over 100 grand. And, and if you look at competitors, there were cheaper cars that did a better job. See, I, I would half fight you on that. I always thought, or at least they were expensive, but back then... Not now so much, but back then you didn't pay list for them. You got a load of money off them. And after the first year, I always thought they were the R version of the S type, F type. I always thought was brilliant value for money when you compared to then its competitor after it was a year old. Yeah, on used market, one million percent. Yeah. Used market, a million percent. But I mean from new. Yeah, but they never really sold at that money. You can put it up for what they like. You know, yeah, they were, what were they, 90, 100 grand-ish? You know, they never really sold lists at that money. You know, they was always doing big deals on them and campaigns to get out of them. You know, they were probably selling for 80 grand or something like that. It was a huge discounts. But then when they got to a year old and they were 65 grand or 60 grand. Incredible. Unbelievable. 100%. I mean, and who knows if that's going to be true for new era, Jack. Maybe this 100k electric numbers, GT. Though, are they? They're no, not chasing no super low production, yeah. I, be- I believe. Yeah. I believe. Um, I wasn't at this big announcement, this big press announcement, so I've been trying to catch up on the official one. SUVs? Are was, they doing an SUV? One? Well, there's a whole load of new models, but this, this is the first, they've said this is going to be the first model. Right. I'm just, I'm treading a little carefully here because I've been briefed off the record <laughs> and I didn't attend the on the record announcement so I'm just trying to slightly don't talk about something else box myself yeah a little bit <laughs> uh, let, sticking to what we know as I say targeting an electric range of 430 miles from a new GT all electric powertrain I, I th- I'm excited yeah and let's move on because <laughs> you actually did touch on it uh, something in there about SUVs uh-huh. because you messaged me last week saying there's something in the question, or there's a topic in whether it's still worth buying a diesel SUV or, or which SUVs suit diesel or petrol more. Because something we have hit on every now and again, so many manufacturers are moving away from diesel, offering mm. smaller or theoretically cleaner petrol engines. Mm. And the demand for diesel supposedly just isn't there. It's more expensive than the pump. So, so where are we at? Give, give us an update. Why did you think this would be a good topic? What well, have you seen? I, I, I get asked this question fairly regularly, mate, from punters. You know, what I'm after an SUV, depending on what type of SUV they're after. Should I, because of what's going on in the world, should I, should I stick with diesel? Should I go hybrid? Should I have an electric one? Um, should I just buy a petrol one? What, what should I do? Um, my advice so far could be subject to change, obviously, because of the way the world is. My advice so far has been, if you're, if you're buying a big SUV, as in when I say big, I mean X5, Range Rover, um, Q7, K, or not, not KN because it's a petrol only, um, but you, you get my, my brief that, that size, I still think the engines suit the diesel engines suit them cars better than any other engine. Just, just the way they behave, the torque 
for what what they do when they drive down the road. I think they're like a a, a marriage made in heaven for that size car. Good horsepower, low to torque. You can tow with them, and people do buy big SUVs to tow. Now, if you have a hybrid car or a petrol car, yeah, you can tow, but they've not got the torque and they're a bit sluggish. And you even you 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 feel that when you're if you drive a petrol X5 and then you drive a diesel one, you can feel the difference in the 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 the, the torque levels are so much more poignant in the in the diesel car. Now, when people ask you the same question about um, a level down, maybe Evoque, uh, GLC, Mercedes, Q5 even, um, I'd say petrol because it's a it's a smaller car and doesn't command so much power, essentially, so much torque. They are really, they're not, I mean, we call them SUVs, but they're just jacked up cars. They are cars essentially. So I actually think going forward, they probably suit a petrol engine better. And actually, over the last two or three years, we've seen a lot more of that type of car come through as a petrol. Like when you go back seven, eight years, not even maybe that far, six years, you'd have a diesel of oak. Everything would be there'd be hardly any petrols, and if we got offered a petrol, we'd be rubbing our hands together, thinking, "Flipping hell, we got one here. We're going to sell this. Going to have a huge markup on it because you can't go and buy another one. There ain't one. No one ordered them." But now the pendulum's slightly changing. I mean, um, Jaguar Land Rover is, is is not the greatest example because they're they're older engines, they're e-gen engine or ingenious engine. What? Sorry, go on, go on. Um, is is really unreliable and and blows up fairly frequently to be fair so the pet the petrol equivalent is is a lot better because the dpfs as well it's a problem if you're if you're a mum and you've got a little suv and you're just pottering around and you're in a little diesel the dpfs get blocked up so then you've got to go on a nice long run and if they get too blocked up they blow the turbos up and then then you blow an engine up then you then you've got huge problems whereas a petrol engine requires loads less maintenance on the bigger stuff on the bigger cars i still because i think they're used differently i mean uh, people use the 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 bigger stuff differently to the to the lower level suvs but if things are changing because not only are manufacturers for new vehicles steering away from the diesel stuff but also i think I, I do think people are buying less diesels. I think I think when you look at the market, people, are, you just said, you see a lot more of the petrol stuff coming through anyway. Does that mean you might be taking a bit of a financial punt on a diesel? Like maybe the demand isn't going to necessarily be there if you're buying a car and three years later looking to change it. Are you going to struggle? Because who wants a diesel at that point? Well, you're not going to struggle because they're all still Euro six. You know, they're all still they're all still less compliant. So they've still got a market, mate. There's still loads of them. Don't forget, um, they still these manufacturers still sell lots and lots of diesel cars across the range. And we are talking specifically about SUVs. I bet, I bet if we add a chart up now, knowing what I know, they still make more diesel SUVs than they do petrols. There are a lot more petrols around now and hybrids, but I bet, I bet there's still loads and loads of diesels developed for sure 
So there are petrol equivalents now. And actually, if you live in the city and you're not doing loads of money, even in London, like we've seen with these new Range Rovers and these new, they're all like this, um, these 440 hybrids and, and the, the P510E and all that. Because they're petrol, these people are doing 6,000 miles a year and they're not clogging the DPFs up because they're, they're going in the dealerships every 10 minutes because the DPFs are clogging up. So, but the petrol car doesn't have that. It doesn't. It doesn't. Doesn't clog up. So, just to make myself feel better, DPF is diesel particulate filter. Right? Correct. Phew. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was just nodding along, and I was like, "What if I think he's saying something?" And he's saying something. So just, just to clarify. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, but yeah. So I was literally in this conundrum, right? So the X3, when I decided to get rid of the RS6 and change everything up and go back to an X3 for Vicky, I had the same thing. I was like, "Do I get another M40i?" Do I get an M40D or do I get the, the 30E, the hybrid one? And, yeah. and I really went back and forth. And we did speak about it quite yeah, a bit yeah. at the time because the 40i is as incredible as that engine is. And I kind of missed the smoothness and the incredibleness of that engine. I just felt it was unnecessary in terms of performance and fuel economy. Not that it was ever horrific on fuel economy, but I did notice that, well, I think I was aware that I could have better fuel economy. The 30E as the hybrid was interesting but probably wasn't the best application of a hybrid at that time at the x330 i don't think is mind-boggling technology not huge range quite impacts the boot space and i was just like it doesn't look as cool (laughs) you know i just i just was like "Eh." so then i i rested on the diesel because i was like well still getting killer looks still getting good performance with improved economy Mm -hmm. but ever since then mainly based on you being the devil in my shoulder i've become increasingly nervous that i've ends up with a product that maybe not many people are actually going to want moving forward. Because no. all I see knocking around are 40 eyes. I see so few 40 Ds. Yeah, because that's the, that's, that's the, the trend at the moment. I mean, the, the 40 eyes uh, are selling at the moment more because of what they are. You know, the, the, the people, people have got a bit of a fetish for them at the moment, you know, because they're great value for money. You know, you buy like a three-year-old one for... 40 grand say a nice one you know what i mean um and they're they're, they're just they're just riding a bit of a a bit of a trend at the moment it's a bit like mccann's you know they they, there was a time where they were just riding a bit of a wave and i think the 340i's are doing that now you know and then audi audi had had a run with sq5s yeah okay good point you know they all have these little runs they will come off because people go well everyone that wanted a Free, 340i they've all had one well we want to change now we want something else and then they'll move to another model well the new X3 will come along which is what I'm waiting for <laughs> but, um, but you know there's the proof in the pudding when the new X3 gets unveiled and I'm sure Vicky's going to go I want one and I'm yeah. going to say great let's get one I will be in the same conundrum and I cannot tell you right now which powertrain I would go for the thing is as well you're more educated than the, than the normal punter and you, you will convince yourself why you want one engine from another. Uh, the normal punter, and I'm not talking to, to uh, about most of the people that listen to us because they know, they're edu- they half know, they're petrol heads. But the normal general punter, I haven't got a clue. Well, my mum and my dad are perfect examples. My dad, yeah. clueless as hell. My sister's the same. Yeah, went back and forth through diesel and petrol a million times over, couldn't decide, read every single Daily Telegraph article and each generation or each time he was stolen, he had to buy another one. He would go back and forth. I'm going to have a diesel. Oh, no, no one wants diesel. I'm going to have a petrol. No one's going to want petrol. Yeah. You know, he would constantly 
be clueless but stressed about and pe- it. And a petrol one, didn't he? And the last one was a petrol yeah, one, I think, yeah. because he was convinced diesel was dying, was going to be dead, was all going to be banned. No one's going to want diesel. He was going to lose all his money, so he thought it'd be a safer bet to go petrol. Mm. But that wasn't true. My mum got convinced kind of at the same thing. So she's had the evokes now. She was diesel, diesel, and she's now just gone back to petrol because she was worried as well that diesel was going to die and she'd be safer off in a petrol. But that's more, that's more like it. I yeah. think more people are buying, you're starting to see more and more petrol evokes now than what you did, like I said, five, six years ago. Everything was diesel. But the smaller cars, I do think they they suit that two-litre petrol engine. Because don't forget, these petrol engines now, they're so efficient. And if, and if we flip it on its head to like a, a car, like a Golf, for instance, and you have the Golf GTI or a Golf GTT, GTD, by the way, that had a run for a few years. I remember you saying it not that long ago. Everyone bought Golf GTDs. Now they all buy GTIs and, yeah. and Golf Rs yeah. because the efficiency of these smaller petrol engines now they're hardly any different to the to the diesel and also i do think there is a bit of a stigma around diesel still i think there's still a question mark of in this world that we live in just the word diesel has a negative connotation and i think with ulez which for those international viewers it's essentially a absolute rip-off scam that the mayor of london has put in place to just ruin anyone i don't like him i've decided i despise the guy i'm going to come out and say i sadiq khan current mayor of london i think is arguably the worst mayor that london has ever seen he's ruined london he's 100 ruined london 100 ruined london and i just think he's a scammer like he's literally out just to make as much money for himself as the mayor i don't mean personally but you know it ulez targets people with older more uh higher emission vehicles to try and create a cleaner city center mm-hmm. the problem with it is you are essentially creating a uh what's called uh, co- uh cost uh what's it called um those people making a living with their dodgy transit van that they can't afford to replace but keeps an their economy business. bubble yeah an yeah. economy bubble you know you're you're forcing people to have cleaner newer greener vehicles yeah. or forcing them onto public transport so you can make even more money off them. Anyway. Well, you're affecting the people that are less fortunate, there basically. Yeah, we're getting into politics again. Yeah. Classic us. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so uh, because of things like ULEZ and stuff like that, I think people are nervous around diesel because I they're just going smelly old diesel. Surely soon enough, that's going to get banned. I'm going to get hit with a big tax or I'm going to be charged to drive into my city centre because I've got a big smelly diesel, even though we know a lot of the times the emissions are very similar. Yeah, they're Euro. They're all the modern diesels now. They're all compliant and they're all Euro 6. So in terms of values, I mean, you know, I do it as a living and as a job. And and when people offer me a diesel, especially an SUV, even if it is a little diesel evoke, I still buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, it's still, it doesn't still make got, you nervous. You don't think no, I've gone, no, it's all same, same with your... You know, your X3, whether it's a two litre diesel or the, the two litre petrol. I still buy it if it's still diesel. buy it. That's good to know. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If when that new one comes along, I'm going to do part X. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let us know in the comment section below if you're watching on YouTube. Where is your head at? 
petrol versus diesel. And it's very different around the world because in America, for example, diesel doesn't ain't a thing. When we went there, you couldn't believe it. That's not into diesel. No. Like, that's just like really not being a vibe. So yeah, where are you in the world is one or the other more popular. And is your position changing? If you have historically always bought diesels, you now start to think, oh, maybe I should get a petrol or hybrid or, or, or vice versa. And don't talk to us if you're thinking about going electric, not because we don't like you, just because I'm more interested in petrol versus diesel yeah. rather than to electric. Because I think that's a bigger change, right? Huge. If you're thinking of petrol to electric, you're thinking of diesel to electric. I want to know if you're going from diesel to petrol. Or vice versa. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Because everyone's circumstances are very different as well, by the way. You know, some people do 25,000 miles a year and they have to have a diesel. I'd actually be fascinated by that. I think that's going to be super interesting. Well, talking about super interesting, uh, I saw an an article on our good old Autocar, one of the sites we love to use for topics over here on the podcast. And they said, the article reads, top used mid-engine sports cars from... Just £2,000. Wow. And I started going, hold on a sec, you've got my attention, because this is right up my street. Because the mid-engine car, the mid-engine sports car, I think that is a vibe. Like, if you're a petrolhead, like, that is a car that everyone should experience in some shape or oh, form. I thought you was going to say then, the mid-engine car is dying. No, no. I thought, oh, here we go, not again. I don't think it is, because no. the, the mid-engine powertrain vehicle... Feels like it's gonna be here a while. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no. So, so I, I think you know, if you're going to go through life as a petrol and wanting to try cars, you've got to at some point drive a mid-engine car. Now, this shows how out of touch I am. Uh, I read that and I started thinking, oh my god, like two thousand pounds—is that going to be like a really cheap mirror that I haven't thought of, or like what's going to be the really exciting low-slung mid-engine supercar? That's not quite what this list <laughs> looks like. <laughs> I've got to be honest. You got to be excited for no reason. Got to be excited. So let's we'll skim through, and and some of these are going to surprise you. Uh, maybe I'll zoom in. Uh, now we'll start off at the high end, just as uh, Autocar have uh, with the R8. 
obviously. It's not a supercar, it's the V8. Sports car. The, the title is sports car. Good, because that, be that that's what that car is. Not the V10, by the way. The V10, the newer shape V10, that is a supercar. This V8 car, that's not a supercar. To be fair, they've, they've called both. They've said that you can get the V8 from around uh, 32 grand and the V10 from around 45. And you spend 32 grand a year maintaining it. You've said this a lot before. I don't care because look at that thing. I mean, it's just, I'm sorry, and you bang on it. It's not a real supercar. It's not a real sports car. <laughs> it is fantastic. And I've said that a long time before, and I fly the flag for it. And also, dear friend of the show and car park chat co-host, Paul Wallaceo. Um, oh, he's got one. Yeah. He's got one. So we can't, we can't go in on it. No, hold much. on a minute. Let's be, let's be, let me say something nice about it. Please. It's very iconic. Iconic. Yes. That's a it. pleasure to drive with both engines. The V8's really nice to drive, mate. It's super smooth. It's a cruiser. It's a cruiser. It's like yeah. a Mustang that looks like a supercar. I mean, to be fair, we'd still rather that than a Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool. And, and, and at 30 odd grand, and I know you're going to say, oh, the maintenance is insane. It is. But that's a 30 grand mid engine sports or supercar. Yeah. Even at 45 grand for the V10, like, that is a very nice affordable depending on where you are in the world or who you are uh sports car so i, I, I i'm gonna give that i think that's that's cool moving on <clears throat> that is a piece of shit <laughs> lotus esprit no chance lotus esprit uh today's price is starting around 26 grand really yeah a good one will easily do a hundred thousand miles according to autocar without serious complaint <laughs> Now, that I somehow find hard to believe, but I have no experience with the Esprit, but obviously Lotus comically stands for lots of, a tr- lots of trouble, usually serious. Yeah. So the thought of one doing 100,000 miles without serious complaint makes me feel like whoever wrote this article is a Lotus Esprit owner. Yeah. Uh, um, I could be wrong. Lotus people, let us know. Like, uh, Esprit's particularly reliable. I've got to get a <laughs> bottle of water, by the way. My throat is drying up. Are you dying? Have you, have you had experience of an Esprit? Well, I mean, I've been in one, and actually, I'll tell you what. As a kid, there was one at the bottom of my road, and I adored it. And it was actually in the same road, and his neighbour had the Escort Cosworth, which is why I bought the Escort Cosworth years later, because I drooled over this actual car, the turbo thing, and um, the Escort Cosworth. Didn't they do an Esprit GT3? Don't know. I think they did. I don't know. I'm really, Esprit is not my, it's not my Lotus. I mean, they stopped making it just after I was born. So I guess it makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, it's a, it's a, a, like 90s car, I right? I bet they're great to drive though. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know I've probably definitely been in, I mean, it's, I've definitely probably been in one. Yeah. But I don't know. That can't memorable. Huh? I've driven one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Did you see a few weeks ago, Harry Metcalf's piece on the Lancia Fulvia? What's that? Oh, uh, Okay. Uh, it's a Zagato. Anyway, he has a, re- it's a really nice storytelling piece of how essentially he was growing up there, living on the road and turned up, came home one day from school and one was parked outside his parents' house and he fell in love with it and he ended up buying that exact car. Oh, wow. And it, he went back 50 years later. And so d- d- your story about your neighbor reminded me of that. Yeah, story. yeah, You should yeah. go watch that. You won't care about the car. Well, go and buy it. Go and, go and find the, the, go and find the go actual and find that car. Esprit. Apparently it'll be running really well with however many miles it's got on it. <laughs> But yeah, very cool and, and looks the bomb. Um, so yeah, why not? Now, a bit more uh, in our territory. Porsche Cayman. Yeah, great car. So 
Uh, 50 grand for a 718, but we're going back to the 987 generation. Right. Now, I, I, I we've spoken a lot about Boxster S. Yeah. But this era Cayman is, is still lovely. Yeah. And a good driver's car. Yeah. What's maintenance like on that? Terrible. Really? Yeah, I mean, they all suffer from ball scoring, which is which was uh, a, yeah. which was a Porsche trait in the, around that time. You know, two thousand and six, five. No, two thousand and four to sort of two thousand and seven, eight. Like, is that a generalization though? That's a bit like with like, when I bought the nine nine six. Like, there's so many forums going. Oh, ball scoring! Oh, what's your which cylinders ball scored? Like, all right. Well, I rebuilt about three or four of them. Did you? Yes. You do buy in crappers though. So. Well, not anymore. That's why I sell not to three year old cars. But back in the day when I didn't have any money and no one would help me, I used to have to buy crap. Yes, and I bought crap like this that was broken and rebuilt it. Thank you. No, I, look, I I don't. I can't feel anything you. worse. Really, mate. Honestly, that like, ge- you really think a nine eight seven generation came in as a disaster? Well, if it's got ball scoring, yeah. Well, if it doesn't have ball scoring? Then it's all right. All right, so make sure it hasn't got ball scoring. <laughs> yeah, make sure it's a manual as well in that age, not a auto. You won't hear me say that very often. But no, but that's because it was pre-PDK? Yeah, it was Tiptronic. I mean, Tiptronic and just terrible. Terrible. Yeah. And like that car, that weight, that engine size, manual's going to be lovely. Yeah, it's And it's fine, still yeah. getting you in the Porsche life. Yeah. For some reason, it doesn't do as much for me as the Boxster. The really early Boxsters really turned me on. But an early Cayman, I'm like, meh. No, it's a good car. I'll tell you what, they sound good. They sound good. They do. If you bought like a, maybe a little bit older, it'd be a 987.2. Like, so like a 2014 car. And that was a 981, weren't it? That was a 981. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a 981. A great engine, great sounding. Oh yeah, the nine eight one Cayman GTS. Yeah, what's that about forty five grand? Maybe even the S, even the S. I remember back then because then I started to get a bit of traction. I had a bit more money back then, and I remember buying one of them Cayman S's for myself. And I and at the time it was quite new, and I remember thinking, you don't need to buy a nine eleven. Yeah, it's so good this car. You don't need a 911. So, yeah. I mean, now things have changed. Now things have changed. Uh, now, ha! this is where the list starts to go a bit skew if for me. Because I will come out and say it, and a lot of you love to attack my my knowledge. Uh, Your I'm, vast knowledge. My really, really limited knowledge and my uh, credentials as a petrol head. MGF. Yeah. 95 to 2002. Brilliant. I had no idea this was mid-engined. Brilliant. Absolutely no clue. Yeah. I, I'm now looking at it and obviously I see the massive side vents and I'm like, oh, well, that's a clue. Yeah. But this tiny little package, a car that I recognise from bumbling around on the road in that era, I would have been between five and ten years old. So Yeah. No idea. Mid-engine. the worst car in the world. <laughs> Honestly, they literally used to do head gaskets and overheat like there's no tomorrow. So Autocar says, about as entry level as a mid-engine ownership gets, the MGF is also a modern classic with all the ups and downs that go with it. Early ones weren't best built, but all ages can suffer head gasket failure, a leaky hood, shonky hydrogas suspension, and corrosion. What a great, great sales. But that was back then, mate. 1995. Everything done at gaskets in 1995. But we are looking at a list, or we are compiling a list of affordable or cheap 
mid-engine sports cars. Yeah. I don't think we should be recommending the MGF. I no. mean, how much horsepower did it have? Four. <laughs> what engine did it have? It was like a 1.8, I think. Something like that. I mean, I actually quite like the way it looks. Yeah. And the fact it's mid-engine is like kind of cool to me, but it's so small. Like, did it have a boot? Not a big one. No. <laughs> and what happened in the front? Was there a frunk? Well, basically, the front was like sitting under a sieve, <laughs> especially when it rained. Because it's a two-seater. It's like an MX-5 type thing, like but a mid-engine. Terrib- yeah, it's like a rip-off of an MX-5. It's like a really bad... That is what it rivaled, by the way. Okay. And the and the MR2 back in the day. Fine. Because that, that MR2 will be in there as well. I'm sure. Minute. It must yeah. be. Because that was a good car. Yeah, yeah. One hundred. Well, we'll come on to it in a second. Yeah, and if it's on, on there. More affordable. But yeah. Yeah. MGF. No, not more affordable. Not more affordable? No, no, it'd be dearer. So Mate, they're saying a terrible you car. can get MGF of two two grand. Yeah. It's a 1.8 litre yeah. VVC. Yeah, just a four cylinder. I mean, it's, it's, it's a disaster. Yeah. I mean, pfft. cool. Isn't it quite amazing, by the way, that MG having such a comeback in, in the world of electric? Well, I'll tell you what as well. They do a little car. Their little, their little SUV... It's a good little car. Yeah. One of the Even most affordable it, EVs you can get. Yeah. And then they come out with this new two-seater sports car EV thing. I've not they're seen having that. a real renaissance. They're cheap, though. They're, they've basically they've basically uh, taken over from um, Dacia. Uh, Dacia, entry-level Dacia's used to be 6,000 quid or 7,000 quid. And slowly now, they're starting to creep up. And MG have slipped into the, the affordable, cheap car market. Cheap EV market. And the EV market, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dacia or Dacia? No idea. Okay. Re- Renault. <laughs> <laughs> Another Lotus, unsurprisingly, because let's face it, they are some of the best affordable mid-engine cars. Lotus Elise. I would hands down have an S1 Elise every day of the week. But, but that Autocar, as well. Autocar, rep- uh, I saying get the S2. It's easy to live with and to drive. It's got more compliant Bilstein suspension, larger wheels easier roof mechanism, etc. But the S1 just looks the bomb. I mean, yes, okay, fine, it's going to go wrong, but, but I mean, look at that, it's just so cool. You're just sitting in a tub, yeah. You're sitting in a tub, great to drive, they're sitting around 22 grand. I think the S1s are starting to gain in value. They're starting 22 to become a, grand. a modern classic. Yeah, 22 grand, they're saying, for 37,000 mile 2011 car. What, would it have been that new? Could, no, couldn't have been. No, I have no idea how much an S2... In 2001? No chance. No, no, no. S2 is not 2001. That's an S1. 2000... Let's have a little Google. Hold on a sec. Um, Yeah, that's more... I would say that's more money than new. So that is... S1s are going through the roof at the minute. Lotus Elise S2 price when new. Sometimes I find that fascinating, that some of these real old stuff that... Price when new, yeah, 23 grand. Yeah. So literally... Apart from maintaining, it's a free car. If you bought that car new, you've driven it for 20 years, put 37,000 miles on it, you get your money back. That's unbelievable, isn't it? Un- incredible. But there's a lot of older cars that are like that, by the way. Yeah, uh, 100%. And modern classics, I say, going going a bit nuts now. Yeah. And you wouldn't have known. There would have been a lot of time when that wouldn't have been that money. Yeah, it would have been 2,000 quid. Yeah, so they, you, yeah. you would have had to really... S- Stayed, what's called, uh, stayed strong, stayed Stay strong, yeah, yeah. And, and hope stood your ground, stood your ground, <laughs> or just lucked into it. He's probably just gone, it's worth crap, so I'll just hold on to it. Yeah, it's not uh, worth anything, yeah, I'm not selling it now. Exactly, there we now, go. Here's the MR2, yeah. Um, I've always loved the idea of the MR2, me too. 
Um, so this is the third gen is the boxier shape is what they're saying from late last 2002. One. It's the last one, huh? Yeah. Um, enthusiasts know it's a great little device with flexible engine, sharp handling and a sweet six-speed box. Yeah. Great chat from Autocar. Um, I've never driven one. I have. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, as in... Compared to an MX-5? Yeah, similar. Similar. Uh, yeah, as, yeah, yeah. as fun? Yeah. Does it yeah, feel... Well, it was a long time ago, mate, but... No, no, but still, you can call... You know, you can really, you've got a good memory. Really, really slow, obviously. But do you notice the mid-engine? So my whole pitch coming into this was that, I, as I say, I think driving a mid-engine car inherently feels different to front engine or rear engine, as it should. It's a unique driving experience. It's mm. often more dynamic and point... Do you notice it in an MR2? No, not so much. No, I don't. Uh, no, I don't think so. No, me personally, I unless something's got real proper power, I I don't think you notice mid-engine until you get up in the you know. No, because it's cornering is where you feel it. Yeah, but I don't think you're ever really going fast enough. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In a little yeah. in a little car, I guess. I guess that might debunk the rest of this list then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Boxster, we already mentioned it. So like big fan of, of early Boxsters. And we've talked about them a lot yeah. on this uh, show. BMW i8. This is such a fascinating one because it is, yeah. they're saying now you can get a BMW i8 with full history, 2015 car. Okay, 161,000 miles. Let's come back to that in a second for 30 grand. Now, that's a particularly interesting example. But more so they're what 35 40 grand for hold on a minute mate in terms of oh no it's a bit newer isn't it i was gonna say that's very similar to a to an r8 but the early r8s were 2007 seven and eight yeah Yeah, Yeah. so that is a newer car but um yeah i i i I like them still i just i just found it so uninformed unengaging to drive yeah um, i really didn't like how it drove yeah and i hated getting in and out of it. it that's the worst thing i mean we we've sold a few uh two or three of them we've sold and we've always sold them they've always been running around they've always been good cars um it is a bmw by the way so it will work of course but yeah like if you get in them now they're probably a bit dated i mean they look like a spaceship when they come out do you remember I still think they look damn modern. I mean, they they nailed it in that sense, and and it's the closest BMW have come to a sort of supercar looking yeah. vehicle for for a while. And I think if you rocked up in a in a 2015 2016 i8, most people would assume it's a new car. That's another topic for us, actually. What what's what old car still looks modern today? Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, it's done well and still. Looks and then the vice part. versa, the other way round. What new car looks old? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because there are some, mate. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're not Do you know wrong. What I mean? Like the Alpha Julia Quadrifoglio. I mean, that looks that looks yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, it does look old. Do you know what I mean? But it's not old. But the i8 is a very interesting one, and obviously you're getting the hybrid tech, and it depends. It depends why you're buying that. I still just don't see it as a driver's car. No, I see it as a fantastic showcase of technology, and it was ahead of it ahead of its time. As BMW kind of have been with their i stuff. But arguably, out of all that list that you've just said, the real driver's cars are the two Porsches and the Lotus. The rest of them aren't driver's cars. They're terrible. Yeah. So- <laughs> no, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to. I just, I just always sit somewhere weird with me where yeah. I want to love it, but because I drove it, I, I, I don't. Fair. I don't. Um, 
And then, oh yeah, the oh. Vauxhall, the VX220. Now, before you crush my dreams, when well, I was I've growing up, so this is from 2000 to 2005, so I was between 10 and 15 years old. Yeah. I really wanted one of these when it came out. Yeah. So I really wanted one. Yeah, so I, that's the 220, that's the Fast Bastard one. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So that was Lotus derived, was that? Was that a partnership with Lotus? Yeah, it, they, and part- they put a Vauxhall engine in it. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. So it was, be- it was based kind of on an Elise. It was like a partnership, an agreed partnership. Yeah. Um, it was a fast bugger, that was. Was it fun to drive? It must have been fun to oh, drive. It was, just huh? re- it was fast. It had, it had like a v- like a like an Astra VXR engine in it. It was like 200 odd, 200 odd horsepower, was it? I guess. I, so it was a VX220, so I guess it was 220 horsepower. That would make sense. <laughs> it says here. And um, it was like a stab rat. Yeah, check for uh, rattly timing chain, lol. Yeah. Turbos need to refresh. Oil leaks. Yeah, two litre turbo, look. Um, but yeah, two litre turbo. They're saying 55,000 miles. Ooh, 20 grand. Yeah, that's another car that would have been that new. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. And the thing is, I think the Lotus is more iconic, right? Like, I really wonder, like, I it's a hard push to justify. I would have bought that if it was half the price of the Elise. But I don't think I'm buying that over an Elise. It's faster than the Elise. I mean, it's really faster than a car, mate. Really? For back then, yes. I kind of want to have a going one now. Yeah. I, I, when I was young, I was obsessed with it. It's got the worst torque steer <laughs> ever. Brilliant. Like the, <laughs> like the, oh no, it was the Astra that had the torque steer because it's front wheel drive. Yeah, I was going to say, that would be yeah. weird if that was a front wheel no, drive car. No, no, it's, it's mid-engine. Yeah. So it's rear drive. Yeah, no, sorry, I'm getting mixed up. It was the Astra with the terrible, you'd literally drive it down the road and it'd go left. As, bu- as bad an, as an Abarth. W- way worse than that. Really? It literally put you in the curb. Yeah, yeah, okay. it was terrible, yeah. Oh, by the way, did you see it Salon Preview that Abarth Electric turned up and everyone was revving it oh. and people got really upset? I mean, yeah. I'd get upset. I would got upset watching yeah. it. Didn't you? No, I sort of, I'm not as upset by it as people are. I do think it's gimmicky, but I still really like that car. <laughs> of course really, you do. I still really like that car. I would, I would have one to come back and forth. <laughs> to the, if I was a richer, if I was Shmee, I'd get one just to come back and forth to the studio. Of course you would. Because um, yeah. that's all you could do in it anyway. VX220, I'm a big fan. Uh, Avora, another Lotus, let's just... Oh, that's the end of the list? No way. Hold on a sec. That's the end of the list? There must be some others. What, we've done 20-odd cars we've been through? No, we haven't. There's 10. Mm. Lotus Avora, yeah, great, I'm going to say, but that's not that affordable. There's got to be a couple of other affordable mid-engine cars, aren't there? Didn't, didn't we drive an Avora? Yeah, yeah, we've driven an Avora a couple of times. <laughs> Affordable, affordable mid-engined cars. What are we? What are we missing? You get some of the crazy Japanese stuff, couldn't you? Um, let's what, see what's mid-engine? on this lid. Yeah, yeah, some of the little K cars. You know, little tiny K cars. Because uh, yeah, MR2. This is road and track now. This is America. Road and track. MR2, Porsche Boxster, Porsche Cayman, Porsche Knight and fourteen. <laughs> Lotus Esprit, Lotus Elise, Lotus Evora, Honda Beat. There we go. That's one I've driven that. Car. Oh, what about an S two thousand? Is that a mid engine car? No. Is that a front engine front car? Engine, is it? Yeah. yeah, Honda Beat I drove in in Hong Kong was amazing. This thing as well, which we got uh, the Suzuki Kala, which was uh, submitted for one of the rate my ride episodes. Yeah. Oh yeah, let's get into it. Ferrari three four eight, and on speaking of that on Mondial because hey people, three four eight and three four eight less so. Mondial is still sub fifty k. You can still find a Mondial sub fifty k. What your car? Oh, you're just such a prick, aren't you? <laughs> you're just such a prick. I Mondial's a punchy. There's two Ferraris. Actually, <laughs> I am seriously, so after my experience in the Mura, where I declared I have to at some point own an Italian 
60s sports car. I've like been all over car and classic. I've been like just searching, searching, searching. And there's one potential that I would love to tell the story of and do, which is the cheapest 60s Ferrari you can buy today. And it's the only other Dino ever made. Why don't you do it then? Because it's a really fugly car. <laughs> and I drove one at Furlongs about five years ago. Um, it's the, yeah, the Dino GT4. And it, it, it's... Uh, Is it worth a few quid? No, that's the point. It's really affordable. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's a really affordable 60s Ferrari. Why do you buy it then? You must have some I don't think I love the way it looks. Who cares? Investment. Do you want to go halves? No. How much money is it? Like, you can get them for like 40 grand. The one that's really the one to have, if you actually genuinely want to do it as a proper investment, you don't want to mess around, is the 365, I think it's the 365 GTC4, 2 plus 2. How much is that? They're probably, if you buy them, well, well, Duke of London, Merlin, I won't talk about his numbers, that's unfair. <laughs> you could buy one sub 100K for sure. And it's essentially a Daytona. It's a four-seat Daytona. Wow. So you could buy one sub 100k, probably need to spend 30k making it great and sit on it for another 10 or 15 years. No less. I think another five years and I think you'll make money. 10 years easily. How much? I don't know. It's really hard to know because it's one of the, because you know the 400i, you know that really, you know the shape of a fire for because of that car, a lot of people overlook the 365, which was actually the manual, rarer, proper what uh, engine? engine. It's the V12. It's the proper, right. yeah, yeah, proper. Um, uh, proper old thing. Yeah, why am, I, why am I having a mind blank today? Anyway, it's a real deal. I say like Daytona engine, it's the same thing. Um, What's a Daytona? Three million quid? Four million? No, quid? Daytona's a, hundreds of thousands, I think. Oh. I think Daytona must be five or six hundred grand, I think. Oh. Let's have a quick look. But well, they're very pretty car, aren't they, Daytona? That's the problem. And so I'll show you both of these cars now, just while I've got you on the on the line here. Um, <laughs> Hold the line, call yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, average price of a Daytona is $700,000. So yeah, it's, it's going to be four or 500,000 pounds, isn't it? I guess. But let me show you. So uh, Ferrari... Three, or more. Six, five, GT... GT2 plus 2 no that's not the one that's the really pretty one I wish it was that one well, uh, how much is that one that one's like 300 grand oh uh, or you can get them on a sub 200 uh, GTC 4 no okay why well, have I got that wrong what's going on hold here hold on what have I well, what car how do you actually there we go it's this one here oh, so it's not the 2 plus 2 it's just the GTC 4 not the two plus two, three six five. No, mate, what's going on here? <laughs> it is the two plus two. Google is being really thick, everyone. Sorry about this. Hopefully, by now, Ben would have thrown up some images. Yeah, there we go. Well, it looks like a wedge of cheese. <laughs> it literally is. Yeah, but it's the three six five GT4 two plus two. I think I'm getting confused with the GTC. Oh, yeah, well, it's just the GT4. Quid for there that. you go. So that's the problem visually, not great, but same exciting dynamics. I think it's a 70s car rather than a 60s car. It's got all the pizzazz of much cooler bits. Um, so here we go. It's still got the, yeah, the front engine V12, 2 plus 2 Grand Tourer. Uh, let me just see in here. Design. But that's, the, I'm, I'm so with you based purely on the looks. It doesn't excite you, does it? No. I just think, oh, it's just a wedge. Like how unexciting. Yeah. 
But I have seen that car before, though. You've seen the knocking around. Well, you would have seen the 400s. Because yeah. the 400 is the one that... And that was automatic. So everyone just died. But the 365 was offered as a manual, which is what you want. Right. Uh, and then I'll show you that Dino... The Dino GTC4 is even uglier. But... <laughs> Look, there you go. Oh, mate, no, that's not... 308. Good. 308 GT4 Dino. It's like a little joke. But I kind of really want one. How did we get onto this? <laughs> what were we talking about? Well, it's you rattling on about mid-engine Ferraris. And also getting completely confused with all my GT4, GTC4, <laughs> 2 plus 2s, 365, three, anyway. So there you go, guys. I'm trying to buy an old Ferrari. and not doing very well in it. <laughs> You've already bought an old Ferrari. Yeah, and if you want to buy a mid-engine one, don't buy the ones that I want to. I'm trying to get the prices low. Uh, anyway, that is probably a good point to wrap up uh, today's episode because I think we're ending up to go into some kind of Looney Tunes chat. <laughs> um, next week, you should be joining us in Spain. Oh. During Tony's road trip that he did and my journey down to Morocco in the 360. Um, so that should be good fun, I hope. It's going to look, look and sound a little bit different. And then after that, you'll be joining us in Monaco. My God. We're taking the, the podcast on tour. Uh, if you want to follow either of us on social media, in the meantime, you can follow Tony at Tony Grumble Car Sales on most social media platforms. I'm at Seen Through Glass on most social media platforms. And yeah, subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, turn on notifications. Uh, follow us, please, or give us a rating if you're listening on any of the audio platforms. And check out recast.tv forward slash behind the glass for live streams and additional content such as the After Chicken Flag series that I do with Paul Wallace. Anyway, we'll catch up with you very soon. Bye-bye. See ya.